0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Episode 2 of No Middle Madness, a podcast about Texas Tech basketball. It's been a busy day with the news breaking that freshman guard Amari Burnett is leaving the program. We'll touch on that. We'll also talk about Kansas State and how that game went, a little bit about Oklahoma State and that dramatic ending. We'll also look ahead to Iowa State. I'm your host, Ryan Mainville. I'm joined, as always, by Emery Lida. Emery, how are you today?
1: Doing good, Ryan. Um, It's been a busy day trying to keep up with all the more information. And just in general, it's been a pretty eventful day as well with a press conference for Coach Beard. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's been really eventful. And I'm looking forward to kind of talking about Texas Tech basketball. Um, Ben, obviously with the news of Namari, transferring is something that we really didn't necessarily anticipate on the day. So I guess no better way to start this by kind of asking, what were your initial thoughts on that transfer?
0: Yeah, so I was a little surprised this morning. Uh, Just got a phone call and it sounded like this was going to happen around 11. And so I reported it. And then Sham Sharina also started reporting it at The Athletic, who is like the biggest basketball writer in the world. And it just kind of got into a frenzy. And, you know, you could kind of sense that maybe that there was some unhappiness with his playing time, uh, averaging about 17.7 minutes per game this season. In those minutes he averaged 5.3 points per game, almost an assist. But I mean, his shooting was just really, really poor. He had an effective field goal percentage of 32% and he was only 17% on threes, but where he made a living was on the defensive end of the floor. He had the highest DPPM, which is box plus minus, essentially just saying he was one of the most impactful defenders at creating turnovers on the team and also led the team in steal rates. I think he was a great defender, but his lack of offensive consistently, uh, Offensive consistency really struggled to get him consistent playing time. What do you think, Emory?
1: Yeah, I think it's kind of a mixed bag with Namari. I think there's no way to kind of get around the offensive struggles. The shooting stands out. I mean, when you're only shooting 17% on threes, it's hard to justify being an off-ball four spacer. And without his ability to create, that I feel like a lot of us might have anticipated, it became really difficult to see a role for him offensively because he couldn't really shoot the ball well from downtown. He wasn't much of a driver. And if we did put the ball in his hands, it was taking away from guys like Mack or Kyler. And I think in general, the defensive impact that he had was incredible. I mean, he's a really good point of attack defender. His off-ball instincts are really good, which is part. those two things are what allowed him to be so good at eating steals. But if you look at a lot of the lineup data, it wasn't necessarily like he was, necess- like he was making a major impact on either side of the ball. Really, like in terms of looking at how the team played him on versus without, we saw the on-off numbers in two-man lineups showed that consistently, Namari was really kind of, if anything a pretty major size negative offensively and then defensively, while his effort was great and there were certainly benefits to it, like the turnover percentage being much higher. He also, at times, struggled to maybe ball watch a little bit and it was just an awkward fit in the lineup. So I think kind of looking forward, obviously it's horrible to lose a five-star player of Nomari's caliber coming in. I mean, we all had really high hopes for him. But I think the more pressing question, is just how do you think this team will impact will be impacted by Namari's departure like who do you think kind of gets more minutes in the lineup and do you foresee any chemistry issues arising
0: yeah Beard kind of talked about this today uh, not even an hour ago when I was in the presser with him just talking about how you know this team there's there's going to be some changes in the lineups as there would if there weren't any changes and, you know, this this is going to be a really fluid rotation as the year goes on. I know Beard talked about getting uh, Tyreek Smith some more minutes and how he wanted to play him more, which I think is interesting. He wasn't necessarily saying that in response to the Namari situation, um, but I do think that maybe we'll see some more Buzo time. I know he played a bit in that Kansas State game and then maybe some more Clarence Nadolny, who's just kind of struggled to find consistent role in the lineup. But yeah, I can see both of those guys getting some more minutes, especially Nadolny. Emory, I know you're a fan of Nadolny's game. How do you think his role kind of increases from here?
1: Well, I think it's important to note with Nadolny that he's still very much unfinished product. He's kind of error prone on both ends of the court. And despite his shot improving quite a bit this year, there's still some question marks around that. But I think Burnett leaving kind of puts him finally into that position where you could justify getting him some minutes both on and off the ball, because essentially without Burnett, you're looking at a roster that has basically three primary ball handler guards in uh, Jamarius Burton, and Kyler Edwards and Mac McClung, and then a host of off-ball players that kind of function at various different rates and have different strengths. I think Ndome has the opportunity to kind of bridge that gap. He actually looks surprisingly good in the off-ball situations this year. where I think he kind of had a clear step up from last year where he was kind of mainly effective in ball-dominant situations. And I also think his his vision is very impressive on offense, especially kind of going out of the pick-and-roll. And I think if you can get that kind of calm, get sort of some of the mistakes that he makes, the recklessness out of his game – I think you can definitely see him getting some spot minutes. I'm not sure he's ever going to be able to kind of crack the rotation this year, but I do think he could start getting kind of more of that Tyreek Smith-style role where it's like two minutes, three minutes here or there where the team needs a lift. And that's something that we haven't seen in conference play. He hasn't gotten really in a, any significant minutes at all. Um, I'm also pretty high on Boozo. I'm curious to see how you think he can fit in with this roster, both in terms of how he plays, and also just how many role minutes do you think that Chibuzo Agbo gets?
0: Yeah, so Buzo is an interesting case um, just because it's kind of hard to quantify what Burnett did for the team. Like he was kind of a wing, but also kind of played with the ball in his hands. And Buzo is going to be a guy who's just an off-ball catch-and-shoot threat. That's at least how I perceive his role from what I've seen on tape so far this season. I think there might be more to that I think he has shown flashes of maybe being a front court player if you want to go small. Um, I I don't really feel confident in his ability, like running the pick and roll or running the offense yet, just because I haven't seen that. Maybe that is in his bag. I don't know. I really do feel confident about him earning himself some minutes with just consistent shooting. Right now, I think that he could maybe take some of those Avery Benson minutes, but I mean, Benson's a guy who comes onto the floor and is a good culture guy for you and has a really high motor and also makes a living on the defensive end of the floor. And that's where I think Buzo probably uh, would like to improve and probably needs to improve for him to earn more minutes. I can't think of any instance on film where I've seen him make a mistake that would uh, like deplete his minutes. I think he maybe missed like one or two rotations, but Right now he just needs to be a little bit more intense and play more on ball defense. But I think maybe by the end of conference play we're we're looking at him playing ten or twelve minutes per game. Does that sound fair to you, Emery, or a little too high?
1: Yeah, I'd love to see him get 10 to 12 minutes. I mean, that's certainly I mean both of us are very high on him. He's a very good poor spacer, which is something that this team desperately needs at this point. And we'll get into that a little bit more in a little bit. But, I mean, I look at a guy, and not to kind of go completely abstract here, but a guy like Kerwin Walton at North Carolina, the first few games of the year, he hardly saw any minutes. And this was a team that really struggled for floor spacing. And Roy Williams kind of recognized that that was a problem and sort of inserted Walton into the rotation. And suddenly, he's shooting 48% from three. And I'm not saying Buzo could have that kind of impact, per se, because I think They're kind of two different players, Walton's more of a guard, but just in general, his ability to make catch-and-shoot threes is something that really stands out on his high school tape, and then in college, I think he's really shown that he can move well without the ball, and I think defensively, the biggest thing that was holding him back early in the year was the kind of of point-of-attack ability, and I mean, some was just being kind of slow on rotations, not to say that there was any egregious misses, like you said, but just kind of not quite playing up to his intensity. So I could I could see Buzo getting that those types of minutes. I mean he's always gonna be behind Terrence Shannon, Kevin McCuller. And I think Micah Peavy is really liked by the staff, not only in the way he plays, but the way he responds. But there's definitely opportunity with Burnett out. And I'm really kinda interested to see how he develops throughout the year.
0: Yeah, so let's go ahead and talk about the last game that Buzo played in, which was that Kansas State game. Texas Tech won eighty 82- two to 71 pretty high scoring game Kansas State looked like the worst power five team in a very long time at the beginning of this season but they've kind of turned around found some things with their freshmen um, it was another huge game for Terrence Shannon Jr. who had 22 points six boards and three steals he's really really starting to look like a 2021 NBA prospect and people like Sam Bassini are starting to notice that also another good game for Mac McClung uh, who had 16 points. Tech, as a team, shot four of 18 from three. Not great, uh, but still the second highest points per possession uh, for this year. Really, the main thing that surprised me from this game was the changes in the starting lineup of Kyler Edwards going back in and also Kevin McCuller getting in there. Emory, what did you think about the new look starting five?
1: I'll be honest. I was completely shocked pregame. Um, I had noticed, and initially this is what I had thought, that maybe it was an injury issue with Terrence Shannon because there was a play in the Oklahoma State game where he looked to have come up on his ankle a bit awkward, and he was limping for a couple possessions. I thought maybe that had kind of limited him limited him, him throughout the week. But I think with, Ter- with TJ coming off the bench, it allowed Micah like Peavy to kind of come back into the lineup. And the thing with Peavy is – He's a very smart player for his age and lack of experience at the college level. And while he had struggled against Oklahoma State, and I had mentioned this in the past, both in articles and on the first episode of this pod, just about how I felt like maybe the kind of lack of spacing that he provides might catch up to him. But Chris Peard kind of put a vote of confidence in him, and I really think it inspired him to play probably, in my opinion, his best game of the year, even if the stats don't necessarily kind of bear out that way I think his passing ability and just making free throws made it to where he was positive on the offensive end and then in terms of Kyler I think I mean production and sort of impact wise it really didn't make much of a difference even when he was on the bench he'd always kind of maintain that same kind of level of minutes and just how he was played onto the court um taking Jamari Spurton out certainly kind of Looks like more of them scaling back on his minutes, which we can get into a little bit more later and how we think that's been evolving. But I mean, ultimately, the lineup proved to be good at giving certain guys a jolt. And I was really impressed with how TJ played in this game.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting because Beard was talking about this post game and he said that essentially Shannon came up to him before the game or in practice leading up to the game and said, Hey, however you want to use me, just do whatever you think is best I want to be coached hard by you so just do whatever you feel is best I don't need to start something along those lines I don't want to misquote either of them but I mean Beard obviously has a lot of respect for actions like that and he did what he felt was best which was to move Shannon into the reserve kind of role and Shannon played very very well and I think that like fans and even myself alike that we can kind of overreact to the starting five and it signifies like at first I thought maybe that like Shannon like didn't have a good week of practice and Beard was trying to like wake him up a bit or something like that but really I mean like just take what Chris Beard says to heart and that he truly does believe that he has seven or eight starters in like on this team and he's going to continue to use those seven or eight starters in different ways. And he said that again today, where he was like, nothing's ever going to stop changing. I want to keep messing with my lineups, and I want to keep messing with my rotation until it's good. And so I think that like maybe the impact of putting Shannon on the bench isn't as dramatic as we may think, but rotation-wise it seems to have paid off really well, even with uh, the shooting struggles that have continued Emory, what do you think? I know we talked about this last episode, but how big of a concern should tech shooting be?
1: I think at this point, it kind of is what it is. I mean, we know that the roster isn't exactly constructed to be a great shooting team to begin with. Um, I think looking at a guy like Buzo coming to the rotation could help, as maybe wouldn't it only. But I think the biggest thing is just kind of, I'd argue Kyler Edwards and Mac McClung are kind of going through a bit of a slump nap right now. I mean, you're talking about players that in the past have shown the potential to make them at a high level, specifically in Kyler's case, and they're shooting 27 and 28% respectively in conference play. And I think that's bound to increase just based off of shooting variants, which I'm a big believer in the fact that shooting is very much just sort of a variant thing and a lot of times doesn't necessarily correlate to effort or particularly how you're playing. I will say one of the biggest concerns that I have with the shooting is just how we can put rotations together that best maximize the lineups and to have good spacing. And it's something that we've noticed throughout the year that there are minutes ultimately, inevitably that will come where there's only like one positive shooter on the court, whether that be TJ or Mac or Kyler I think we need to make sure that we're avoiding that as much as possible. And I think we've seen that in recent times where Beard has kind of tried his best to find those rotations that get things to flow. And as he said today, I mean, he has seven to eight guys that he's very confident in, in being able to put up good minutes on any given night and be an impactful player for this team. It's just about finding guys that mesh well together. And I think the other thing that I can really take away from that is just how... How much he kind of respects guys like Marcus Santos Silva, Tyreek Smith, Micah P.V. and Kevin McCuller. Because even though they aren't necessarily great shooters, they're still guys that are really impactful on this team. And we can't lose sight of that. Uh, what other takeaways did you have from this game, Ryan?
0: Yeah, I like what you had to say about the shooting. Heading into this game, I was... A little concerned, actually, about how they would handle Kansas State's two best shooters, uh, Pack and McGurl, I believe is how it's pronounced. Sorry if I'm butchering that. Uh, But they were both top 10 in the conference and three-pointers made. And they both got off to a pretty good start, if I'm remembering correctly. And it looked like they were going to take it down to the wire. And that was something that I did not expect coming into this Kansas State game, even with the good shooters that they have. Uh, But they both kind of calmed down a little bit and ended the game 5 of 14 combined from deep, which I'm sure they want that back because if it was maybe a little bit better, then it would have been a much closer game. But maybe I'll go ahead and inaugurate my second hot take in the history of the pod. My first one was hilariously wrong. I said if Tech shot better than 35% against Oklahoma State, then they would win by 15. They did not. They lost. Um, But I'm going to say that Tech is going to fare better in games against, quote, good teams with poor shooting. So like West Virginia, a team that is really good and has a really good defense and has, you know, a really good point guard and a Derek Culver down there on the post, then they will against quote bad teams with good shooting like Kansas state and even Oklahoma. I just think that really prolific offenses are going to struggle to kind of keep up with tech and Tech's defense is going to be where they hang their hat This entire season, they just, the shooting doesn't look there this season. It's going to be tough for them to win shootouts. And so I think that these games where teams are relying more on two than three, it's going to favor Tech. And yeah, I think we saw a good example of that in the Oklahoma State game, which I'll just touch on briefly. Uh, I mean, I think Tech did a pretty good job at containing Kid Cunningham. Uh, Despite his 13 points, I mean, he was only three of 12 shooting from the field. And I don't think he scored in the first half, which could have been bad for Tech, which was already getting down. Um, You know, they had a 10 to 14 assist to turnover ratio, which was uncharacteristic for Tech. I think that was a big part of the of the loss. But again, a lot of good shooting, which I didn't expect in this game from Oklahoma State, especially the transfer Bryce Williams. He was just out of his mind especially in that first half. Emery, is there anything you want to touch on on that Oklahoma State game?
1: Yeah, I think first off, going on your hot take, I actually really do agree with that. I think it's buried out in the past with Chris Spear teams as well. I look at a game like the 2018-2019 team playing Duke in Madison Square Garden, and Duke, if you remember that year, was really struggling to shoot the ball. I think they shot something like 2 of 20 in that game. And even if they had the best player in college basketball, it really didn't matter because they couldn't find a way on the inside to continuously outscore Beard's squad. And I think that's something that will bear out true again this year. Teams that struggle to shoot from three are going to have a hard time getting enough points to necessarily outscore Tech. And that's not to say that they can't. I mean, Tech's by no means an unbeatable team against these teams that struggle to score. But it is going to make life more difficult and about the Oklahoma State game I mean I attribute a lot of the struggles for Tech quote-unquote to either shooting variants for Oklahoma State bad luck in the sense of I think you got a couple of calls at the end of the game that really kind of shifted momentum maybe not even on maybe not so much favoring one team or another but just kind of taking them out of the rhythm of the game and I also think there was a little bit to that, though, was just still kind of finding your footing offensively. I mean, Beard mentioned in the press conference that there were a couple of guys that, may, and I don't want to misquote, but just that they basically saying that they might have not necessarily shown up prepared to play a competitive game. And I think that, well, I'm not necessarily someone that believes in effort correlating to shooting. I do think it has something to say about maybe the defense wasn't quite as energized and focus at the beginning of the game and Oklahoma State just simply carried that momentum and held on Um, and Oklahoma State's a good team I think they took West Virginia to the wire should have won that game they blew like a 19 point lead they have the best player in college basketball in Cade and they have guys that should be shooting a lot better than they can and I think that kind of bared out in that game so I'm not overly concerned I thought A lot of people might have been overreacting in terms of trying to burn the house down over overtime loss to a talented team. But I do think that there were definitely lessons to be taken away from that game in terms of just making sure our defense is always there. And also just in general on offense to keep making sure that we have lineups to continue to work the motion.
0: Yeah, I will say that I'm typically not a person who tries to comment on officiating I also like pride myself on being a pretty neutral analyst and reporter for this team. I don't think that I show bias in any way. I think I'm pretty fair with how I view and analyze and write things. But the officiating in this game was horrible, and it was incorrect. And Chris Beard said that. I, I haven't heard anything confirmed that he has been fined, but there is a, there should be a fine on the way um, for him publicly saying that he was told the Kyler Edwards ghost screen was the incorrect call, which it was. That was an awful call. And then the other call was the call on Kevin McCuller, where Kate initiated probably ninety percent of the contact. I just really didn't like those calls. And then I agree with you on the the doomsday overreaction. I'm I'm not a very like pessimistic person. I don't like to burn the house down after every loss or build it back up after every win. I think this is a good Oklahoma State team. I underestimated them. That was my fault. I underestimated how good that their role players could play. Um, But, I mean, this just teaches us the variance of Big 12 play, and I think that's something that, you know, fans are going to have to get used to is how crazy this conference is. And, I mean, Oklahoma State, like you said, taking West Virginia down to the wire up like 15 in the second half at some points, they're a trap game for any team in the top half of the Big 12. I think they only lost to Texas by like one. Maybe it was three. But yeah, they're a trap game. I don't really love overreactions and I don't love reading them. But I mean, it is what it is. I get it. Um, but yeah, this Oklahoma State team is good. On the other hand, Tech is going to head in two days to play Iowa State, who is two and six on the year. They're 0-4 in Big 12 play with a really bad loss to that Kansas State team. And then some close games with the top tier of baylor texas and west virginia and their non-conference slate they had a huge loss to iowa mainly because of iowa's prolific offense their defense just had no answer emory do you want to touch on some of the cyclones key players
1: yeah so i think the first player i want to mention is Jalen coleman Lance. and i'll get to why that's an important name in a second but he transferred in this year from a certain school in the chicago area that tech happened to play last year he averages about 13 points, 5 rebounds a game. And despite being a guard, he really doesn't play a ton of facilitating minutes. Um, that would be Razier Bolden, who averages 14, almost 15 points a game with 5 rebounds and 5 assists. And he's also a terrific on ball defender, averaging about 2 steals. Uh, and then you've got Javon Johnson, who has really played well in Big 12 play in my eyes. I got a chance to catch the... Texas game live and I've kind of looked at it since then and he was really impactful on the offensive end really strong guy averaging about 12 points 3.6 rebounds 2.6 assists per game and then you've got the guy that Chris Beard thinks has been at Iowa State in nine years and I have to say I agree and that's Solomon Young who's averaging about 11.6 points on 56 percent field goal percentage all of it coming inside the arc um those guys are all, in my opinion, talented players. I mean, you're not going to find many sub-100 teams in both Kempom and T-Rank that have that amount of talent on them. And it's just kind of interesting to see. And as for Coleman Lands, I said that I would get into that, but Tech fans are going to remember him because he hit a game-tying shot against Tech at DePaul last year in the game where Terrence Shannon first had his almost coming out party, is homecoming game per se. And in that game, he didn't necessarily shoot great, but he was right there for that game winner. And that's something that you have to remember about this Iowa State team. They might not be good per se, but they certainly have the talent and the capability to play to their opponents. I mean, someone they were up on Baylor for portions of that game. And really, even though they lost by, I believe it was 11, it was a close game throughout. And then a team such as um a team like Texas, you would expect coming off of a major win in Allen Fieldhouse to be able to blow them out. But instead Iowa State played them extremely close. And I just think this is not a game that tech should overlook. They have a lot of talent on them, on their squad. And I just think in general, it's about kind of making sure that tech executes well. Steve Prom is four and four against Chris Beard, and he's won three straight games, but or Tech has won three straight games over prom, but I think this Iowa State team look at what they did to Tech three years ago when they were bottom of the conference and still demolished the Elite Eight, Texas Tech one, and Ames, and it becomes clear why Chris Peer is coming into this game with so, with so much respect for Iowa State. Uh, what do you think about Iowa State and specifically just about kind of how this current team is made up?
0: Yeah, so I like Coleman Lance. I mean, a forty percent three point shooter on six attempts per game, that's an asset. That's a guy that Tech could use. Like if you plugged that into Tech's lineup, this team's offense looks completely different. And I think that just looking ahead to the future real quick, like that's gonna be like the Jalen Tyson role that I anticipate. But outside of that, like yeah, Bolton is a legitimately good guy like a good player. He's gonna be all conference. Uh whatever team he ends up being, he deserves to be on one of them. He's a great player. And then, yeah, the joke about Solomon Young did make me laugh in the presser today. But, I mean, he, he's a post guy who just continues to develop his game. I've noticed he's, he's looked a little bit more comfortable on jumpers this season. Um, so I'm interested to see how Tech really handles him. But I've noticed two things with their team as a whole that really stand out to me. The first is their free throw shooting. So I found this today, and it, it like, made my jaw drop. So there are 344 division one college basketball teams playing right now who are not opted out or whatever reasons there's 344 Iowa state is 341st in free throw attempts per game and 343rd in free throws made per game. So there's only one team that's making less free throws per game than Iowa state. They're only shooting 10 a game. That is insane. For reference, Tech is shooting 26.6 per game, which is the sixth most in the country. That is ridiculous. They have to get to the line more if their offense wants to improve. There's a reason they're 112th in offense and T-rank. They really need those free throws to go down more often if they want to compete in the Big 12. And the second thing that I've noticed is their turnovers. They are turning the ball over a lot. 16.1 times per game to be exact. That's the most in the conference. They have an assist to turnover ratio of 94 to 129. So that evens out to about like 0.75, which is really, really bad. Like a good number, a modest good number you want to shoot for as a team should be somewhere around like 1.25. They are way below that and it's a big part of their offensive struggles.
1: Yeah, I think in general, the lack of free-throw shooting stuck out to me a ton as well. I mean, to put things in perspective, they're also fouling teams a lot as well. They have a free-throw rate on offense, as you mentioned. I mean, it's almost as bad, even if you look at it from a per-possession standpoint. Um, They're 338th in free-throw rate and 282nd in opposing free-throw rate, which means that they're fouling guys a ton, And when you're getting beat at the line, when your opponent is attempting more or is making more free throws than you attempt, it is hard to win any game in the Big 12, let alone against top tier teams. I mean, you look at it, and it's not necessarily that they have guys that aren't good on-ball players. I think it's a mindset issue. I mean, they're only averaging about 16 attempts per game around the rim. And that's not, and that's taking into account the fact that a guy like Solomon Young, who is very much lives around the post is someone that doesn't necessarily draw, doesn't draw a ton of contact naturally. And he's still of the rotation players among the top in terms of free throw. rate, And that just puts things in the perspective. I mean, they have to be a lot more aggressive driving the ball. And I think, it's scary because their team isn't necessarily, like you look at a past team that might not have a ton of talent. The 2018-19 Oklahoma State team was one that sticks out to me as a squad that didn't really have the on-ball or the off-ball talent to be able to consistently compete in the Big 12. A team like this year's Kansas State team has the talent, but they're really young. Their Iowa State team is not young. They've got a lot of experienced players at the Big at the big 12 level that have played in big time games. And it's just like stylistically, they've got to get things going or else a guy like Steve prom might have his job at risk. And I wanted to ask you today, how much longer do you think Steve prom is going to get as a coach before his Iowa state days are over?
0: Yeah. So he signed that extension in January or March of 2019, I believe. So he's a few years out from that. Uh, next year he has Tyrese Hunter coming in, who's a four-star prospect. So this will be the second year in a row that he's brought in a four-star, which isn't easy to do in names like Iowa State. Their program hasn't had a ton of success recruiting. Um, but Prom has made the tournament three of his last five years as a coach uh, at Iowa State, and now he has uh, Tyrese Halliburton that he has helped facilitate get to the NBA. Obviously, a lot of that is just the talent of Halliburton. But I mean, that guy's going to be vouching for him. And those are the kind of guys that ADs talk to whenever it's time to maybe start thinking about a change. So I don't know. Maybe maybe his seat isn't too hot, but I do think it's time to start winning. Uh, it's going to be tough this year to improve his resume with how deep the Big 12 is. But I mean, hey, here's a here's a game in Texas Tech that gives you the chance. What about you? How hot do you think his seat is?
1: I'll be honest. I'm kind of the opposite. I think Steve Prong, if you look at the last five years on paper, I don't think there's a single year, maybe outside of the 2016-2017 team, where I can look at his results and say that he really did anything but underachieve i mean he's finished at the bottom of the conference or near the bottom we're now looking at three of the last four years if you include this year which is off to a really rough start and even the one year where they went nine and nine and looked like they were going to be competing in the big 12 they really stumbled down the stretch that was the year where they beat tech on the same year tech went to the championship game gave Tech their only home loss, looked like a contender in the Big 12 within a couple of games midway through the season and then just flamed out. I mean, and the fact of the matter is that team had a ton of talent. You had guys like Wendell Wigington, you had Halliburton, you had someone like Talon Horton Tucker that has turned into a legitimate NBA player. And since you have all of that talent and you can't make it to even compete in the Big 12. And I think... Going from Fred Hoiberg to Steve Prong, it wasn't necessarily like an egregious fall off initially, but I do think there's something to be said because I think this Iowa State team has underperformed the last couple of years. And I mean, I get that he signed an extension. The athletic director seems to be pretty um, high on him in general at Iowa State, but it just feels like eventually the clock's going to tick and it's like you need to get something that allows you to compete in the Big 12 in basketball, especially with the football program already doing very well at Iowa State. I mean, you've just got to make sure that your team is able to compete, and recent years suggest that that's not been the case.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I could definitely see maybe some, some changes happening, some shakeups that maybe I don't predict, but I like your perspective. I like to hear it. Um so let's go ahead and let's wrap this up. Let's talk about the final score to the game. I'll take tech winning this one and a little bit of a high scoring game. I'm gonna take tech winning 72 to 59. I just don't think there's enough firepower to overcome tech's defense. I think this is gonna be a really good week of practice for tech. I think that you know they're they're gonna be learning some lessons. There's a shakeup in the program. It's going to be an intense week, and I think that that's going to carry over into the game. I'll take Terrence Shannon for the sc- top scorer for Tech. Just continue the the campaign for an NBA prospect, but also Big 12 Player of the Year. I mean, if there's a time where, like, Cade starts slowing down or someone else, then Shannon can really put himself at the top of the list. And for the top scorer for Iowa State, I'll go with Bolton, of course. Just such a skilled player when he has the ball in his hands. Emory, what are your predictions?
1: I think I'm going to go a little bit more conservative in terms of the high score. I think Iowa State as a team that this year has played a little bit of a slower tempo than maybe we're accustomed to seeing from them. I mean, and that's not – last year they were around 89th in the country in tempo, and this year you're looking at a team that's closer to 160th. And I think that's something that – we can't really overlook and the fact is last year at Texas Tech when they played Iowa State they absolutely dominated them they won 87 to 57 and it was a team it was probably one of Tech's best offensive showings all year Um, you had guys like Kyler and Ramsey both putting up some of their best numbers in conference season I think that probably would be a little bit of a sour taste in Iowa State's mouth. Granted, I thought the same thing last year, considering the year before Tech won the Big 12 title on their home floor. But I mean, I just think Iowa State's got something to prove as does Tech, and I'm gonna take Tech in this one 66 to 60. I think it's a close game. I think Iowa State has proven the last few weeks that they can compete at the Big 12 le- level. And after all that I said about prom, I still think He's a decent coach. He'll have the team ready to go for this game. And I think the talent on this team is enough to be in a game with Texas Tech and then put some pressure on Tech to perform. And for my leading score, I'm going to go with Terrence Shannon, just like you did. I know it's kind of a little bit of a medium take, not really too much of a bold prediction there but I do think TJ's been on fire in Big 12 play averaging over 19 points per game he's doing it remarkably efficiently too I mean he only took nine shots on Tuesday and you have to think that on a in a game that's as close as I'm predicting TJ's gonna be on the court for almost 40 minutes probably and we've seen that in recent in recent times, Tech has really been looking to make sure that he's more involved in the offense, whether that be giving the ball for more straight-line drive opportunities or letting him handle in transition and just and then also utilizing him as a spot-up. So I think, Shannon, like you said, is a good threat to maybe become an all-Big-12 first-team type of guy, maybe even challenge for Conference Player of the Year. I mean, Jared Butler and Cade Cunningham are about as tough as they get to unseat those guys, but just in general, Shannon's start to the year has been impressive, and I think he continues it. I think he drops a solid 19-7 and type of line, and I'm excited to see how this team goes forward in in Ames this weekend. Ryan, do you have any bold predictions for this game beyond just the final score and the top score?
0: I don't think I have any hot takes left. I think I've gotten enough out so far. Um, but maybe I'll maybe I'll leave one out. Let me pull one out of the bag real quick. Okay, I'll go with this. Terrence Shannon Jr. makes three or more threes this game. I have no basis to base that off of besides my own instincts. So we'll see what happens on Saturday. Should be a good one in names. I like your prediction too. Uh, thank you for listening to episode two of No Middle Madness. Thank you for supporting us through the first episode. I saw that we had received a few reviews on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for that a lot. It truly does help us out and help us grow. We really appreciate that. If you enjoyed this episode, go leave us another five-star review. It really is appreciated. And we'll actually be back sooner than later. We're going to give you a special episode sometime early next week where we're going to preview a top team not only in the conference but in the country, in Texas, and Greg Brown, and Chaka Smart with Hair. That should be a really great game. Uh, We look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you for listening, and have a good week.